Welcome to CII Radio. In this episode, we are talking to Harry Roberts and Damien Glynn. In this episode of the podcast, we are joined by Harry Roberts and Damien Glynn, joint chairs of Research Study Group 265, responsible for the Business Interruption Policy Wordings Guide. Today, we're talking about how business interruption cover is changing and how insurers can make sure clients know what their policies will and won't pay out for. To find out more about this podcast and for useful links, go to thejournal.cii.co.uk forward slash podcasts. Here's our conversation with Harry and Damien. Hello, Harry and Damien. Um, welcome to CII Radio. Thank you. Hi. It's a pleasure to have you here. Uh, thanks for joining us. So if we could just start quite generally, for any listeners that might not be familiar to business interruption insurance, um, can you give us a bit of a background to what that actually is? Well, well let me start. So uh, a lot of listeners will be familiar with property damage. And the best way to contrast business interruption and property damage is on the day of a fire, the damage has happened. And it just needs to be measured and mended. The business interruption is only just starting. The business interruption clock is ticking. So if a business, if the assets are damaged, it can't trade. It's intangible, but it's all about the future. The intention of the policy is to provide an indemnity. But the key thing is that the business interruption loss, if it's not dealt with properly, will grow and get worse. The property damage is a historical thing that has to be measured. The mechanics of how it works are quite neat, really, because <laughs> right. the, there's a formula. Uh, I think people sometimes get a bit uh, concerned about how you're going to measure the impact mm. of an incident on a business, and yet there is a policy formula. It stood the test of time. It's been around for well over 50 years. Works quite neatly in terms of uh, measuring loss by relation to turnover of the business, which mm-hmm. is likely to fall in the period following an incident. It pays out a certain amount of gross profit associated with that reduction in turnover so that you've now got enough money to pay for the overheads of the business, which are likely to be continuing. If you can mitigate your loss by spending extra money, that's covered as an increased cost of working. And if, as a result of the incident, the overhead to the business drops significantly then there's provision for savings to be deducted all in all it's aimed at giving you an indemnity or at least as near as possible to an indemnity as we can i see so back in 2012 you were both involved in producing um, a guide on how insurers need to clarify policy wording within business interruption policies on the basis of the experience of claims um so how did that initially come about Well, it's a long story, but I'll try and keep it short for you. Uh, Essentially, um, there's an issue about whether depreciation is a saving under the policy. I referred to savings before. Mm -hmm. In the event of a loss, should you actually take into account the fact that there might not be depreciation charged on plant that's been destroyed or not? And it's been a controversial topic for as long as the BI cover has been in place. There's been a divergence of opinion. I was president of CILA at a point when... Uh, we decided that we couldn't determine whether it was or it wasn't a saving and we decided to go back to insurers and say to insurers, if it was a significant part of a claim, then let's ask insurers what they think. Because otherwise, it was a question of potluck as to whether you got an adjuster who believed that depreciation was or was not a saving. We were approached by Graham Herridge, who asked us whether it was a saving or not. I took that uh, to some other insurers to speak to them about it and they said, well... There are other issues that 
merit consideration in the same way as savings uh, or depreciation as a saving. Uh, why, if you're going to suggest that there should be a change to the policy wording and the suggested change was to say that savings included or did not include depreciation, a very simple uh, amendment, then they said there were other things that we ought to consider. So that was the birth of a project. Well, a project that went on for three years. So April, wow, okay. April 2009, we had an open house uh, meeting for the whole market. Uh, and that probably had about 250 people attend. It had been our presumption that, um, that a body other than the CILA would take this forwards. So um, it was a bit of a surprise that the outcome of the group discussion was that Scylla was best placed to do this. So really from April 2009 to production of this book in October 2012, that was the journey. We didn't really have a plan. It was cross-party. We had underwriters, claims people, forensic accountants. The loss whole, assessors. Loss assessors, even mm. loss assessors. So we had the whole range. And it was, it was collaborative. It was inclusive. And basically what we did was a big, a big brain dump mm. of topics. And we applied two tests. So test number one, is this a common problem? Because we don't want to waste time legislating for the exception. Test two... Can it be resolved by tweaking the policy wording? So there are some problems that are more difficult than a simple change to a wording. So unless the answer is yes to both tests, it's not in. And I ought to say, some people refer to this book as a review of policy wordings. It isn't. Right. What it is, is a summary of those changes to wordings that our experience of dealing with claims has suggested to avoid reinventing the wheel. And there are certain things that clearly have confused people. So we distilled the brain dump down by the application of the two questions. Is it common? Can it be sorted out by changing the wording? And then we grouped those topics into chapters to give it some structure. So the content of the book is not what we intended to write. Mm. That is the distillation of the group contribution. And in respect of each of the topics, uh, there is a structure. So it says, what's the issue? Why is it a problem? What, what are the consequences? What might we do about it? And we weren't, by the way, going to put solutions in because we didn't want to be seen to be telling anyone what to, what to do. Mm. Um, and what we've endeavoured to do is not be black and white so to say for example savings that Harry talked about after the word savings why not say which include depreciation or which doesn't include depreciation right, yes. so we're not telling people you must give this answer we're just saying an answer or some clarity would help absolutely yeah so clarity is obviously key to this and, and it's about bringing consistency to to the profession and, and the market so in May of last year, 2019, you updated that 2012 guide. Um, why did you feel there was a need to, to do that? Well, we didn't really. Oh, right. Uh, to, okay. to, 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 to be honest, we should take the credit. Um, <laughs> no, it was suggested through, through sort of popular demand that it, it would benefit from, from a refresh. I suppose, if we're being honest, we, 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 we didn't welcome no, we didn't. Uh, that idea with open arms. Right, I see. But it was the Society of Claims Professionals and others. The 2012 book, to be fair, was a study guide. That was A5. 
Mm. The revised book is A4 landscape with a bit of colour in it. It's more modern, it's more accessible. Mm. And um, But I think it, it was, if you like, um, market demand rather than our own yeah. innovation. But the, the, the really key thing, I think, from our perspective, once we'd sort of come to grips with the idea that we would produce an updated version, we realised that the original version of the book looked old and it looked dated. Mm. Therefore, it merited an update. The reality is there isn't a huge amount of change in the next edition. Right. But what that clearly means is that we're saying the problems we identified back in 2012, they're still here. Right. In a modern format, it's the same old problems. Absolutely. It's still very important. And to to speak to that, when Harry says there's not much change, we literally have done an updated foreword and there is one new legal case. I see. And And the, the one new legal case, ironically featured the judge quoting the first edition of the book so it's kind of self-referential but there hasn't been that much change i see so so um you haven't made as you say a great deal of changes are there any kind of significant points to the to the guide which you, you would highlight kind of briefly certainly i think the biggest issue for me is what we call or what we term wide area damage i say yeah with uh, the onset of global warming despite what uh, president trump says um i think this is going to be more commonplace than it has been in the past let me just illustrate for you though what what we're talking about with wide area damage we're talking about things like flooding and if i go many years back to there was severe flooding in cockermouth in the main high street in it's called main street but the Mm. main street in cockermouth and the various retailers restaurant outlets banks uh, they were all flooded and flooded to a very significant degree water was at sort of about six foot high in some some shops now if you imagine that uh, i or damien turn up in uh, main street and we go to the businesses of or the premises of insured a Mm. And he says, it was dreadful. The flood was right up to here. You can imagine how bad it is. You know, everything now needs to be dried out. It's going to take a long time. And I say to him, yep, yeah, OK, that's that's uh, that's a real shame. But the reality is that because all the other businesses in the street have been affected in the same way, even if you hadn't suffered your damage, you would have suffered a downturn in your business. And the policy only pays for the downturn in your business due to the damage at your premises. Right. So I'm saying to insured A, you're not going to get very much of a payout because all the other premises were damaged in the same way. I go to B, who's next door, and I say, because of the damage at A and at C through to XYZ, you're not going to get much because your business would have been affected irrespective of whether you yourself had suffered damage. I go to C... I give them the same story. And as I'm working my way down the high street, they're talking to each other. By the time I get to X or Y or Z, there's a lynch mob forming. (laughs) They've got the gibbet up and they're ready to hang me because basically I'm saying to every one of them, because of the damage that the others have suffered, you're not going to get much by whatever BI payout. There has to be something odd about that because what that's saying is that the greater the damage, the less insurers are going to pay out. How does that work? Mm. And there was a there was a case, Orient Express Hotels, related to uh, Hurricane Katrina, didn't it, in America, actually said that is the correct way to interpret the policy. And yet it cannot make a lot of sense. And 
in the book we've addressed that issue and we've said that there need to be changes uh, so that people get a fair payout and as things stand if you did follow the wording precisely then you would get this anomalous position and my view is that in that uh, it was a. It wasn't a legal case as such. It was arbitration, uh, but uh, the the panel of arbitrators decided that yes, in fact, the policy wording was interpreted correctly. If you if you have that situation, then insurers, as I say, are going to pay out less. Well, it, it isn't just flooding. When Zizi and the mill pub and various locations were contaminated with Novichok. Technically, the same principle applies. You say, well, let's assume you didn't have contamination, but other places still did. So, as Harry says, the greater the amount of damage, the less insurers pay. So, technically, it's correct. Technically. Right. Because BI policies are covering loss flowing from damage to property owned or used by the insured for the purpose of the business at the premises. At the premises, that's the key. Technically, we imagine that there is an invisible force field around the premises, but that everywhere else is still damaged. It's artificial. It isn't necessarily the way it's done in the rest of the world, but that is the UK form. The most obvious point to bring out is the term gross profit. Mm. Okay. What we did in It was either 2010 or 2011, I forget. We did an interim report just to show people there was a pulse so that they wouldn't think that we were just booting the can down the road. And one of the main things that we raised there is gross profit is a very confusing term. Harry and I are both chartered accountants, so we we can say nasty things about our fellows. When I first came into loss adjusting, I was amazed there was a definition. There is no definition of the term gross profit in the general commercial world. There's no definition in statute. There is no definition in any accounting standard. It is an undefined term. We have a definition, but why are we using the same words, gross profits, as people have been using for several centuries, giving them a technical meaning, then throwing our hands up in horror when people get the answer horribly wrong potentially suggesting that they're in breach of the duty of fair presentation. So one of the most obvious suggestions and a really easy win is to stop calling gross profit gross profit. Call it insurance profit, call it insurable, call it whatever you like. Just don't use exactly the same term. Some insurers uh, have done that, but not all. So gross profit, it, it would be remiss not to highlight that. By way of another example, most policies have a claims condition that says you have to submit a BI claim within 30 days. The reason that they say that is it harks back to the olden days when people would suffer a loss and then submit it to an insurer and it would retrospectively be adjusted. We've moved on from that and people expect insurers now to be stood next to them in partnership when they're suffering a disaster. And if someone says to us, I want to spend a million pounds advertising to save the business, it's not really very helpful if we say, well, you go ahead then. We'll have a look at what impact it's had and we'll retrospectively tell you whether we're going to do it, particularly if they don't have the million quid, if we don't give it them. One of the suggestions in the book was to say, why not waive the retrospective subsequent test in return for a reasoned business business case at the time the decision is made, supported by documentation, and everyone says, looks like a good idea, let's go for it together. In reality, that's what insurers are doing anyway on the larger claims. So that there are lots of quite practical things, 
But I would just reiterate, this is not a review of policy wordings in a sterile environment. This is taking the lessons of claims and inputting them back in at the front end to uh, avoid others suffering with the same issues. Excellent. Um, so, so reflecting on, on the guide and obviously the work you've been doing now for on and off for many years, I mean, how important do you feel it is that insurers and regulators um, continue to evolve with, with the changing landscape of, of business interruption? Well, it is important, but uh, I think I need to pick you up on continue to evolve. Oh, right. OK. <laughs> um, the, the rate of change has not been as significant as we would perhaps have hoped. I see. Um, we can say that the original book, which was made available online, you can you can access it. You don't have to buy the book itself. It's completely free. The CILA, Chartered Institute of Loss Adjusters, their counter stopped counting at 250,000 hits. Whether people were all finding what they were looking for, I'm not at all sure. <laughs> okay. But we got plenty of, uh, plenty of hits. So we were hoping that wordings would have changed a little more uh, significantly and a little more rapidly. There are other developments in insurance generally, such as parametric insurance. And I would say, well, all right, you can come up with these fancy new ideas, but we still want you to concentrate on some of these issues which have been recurring for many a year now and really do need addressing. So uh, it is important, but we need to just keep plugging away, which is why we, we're happy to have the, the new edition of the book, plugging away, getting insurers to realise that change needs to be made. And certainly something like the wide area damage that I was talking about before, it is a disgrace. Yes, yeah. It is a disgrace. It is as bad as that, that wordings have not changed to recognise or to, to respond to a recognised issue such as the one that it is. Absolutely. And as you, as you say, it's very important for, for clarity, for, for consistency and um, for fairness for, for these business owners and for, for individuals. Absolutely. The only issue on consistency we need to be slightly careful about is in 1986, we had the ABI recommended practices and wordings. People have diverged from that common starting point. And it would be frowned upon now to have consistency to the extent that everyone has the same wordings. It would be deemed to be anti-competitive. And to be honest, I used to subscribe to the view that we should give a consistent response across insurance, so the whole of Cockermouth should have a consistent response. On reflection, I don't hold that view anymore. If someone has paid a fantastic premium and they've bought the equivalent of a Rolls-Royce, they should get a Rolls-Royce service. If someone has bought a second-hand thing that can hardly go anymore... Why should that insurer be under any pressure to provide a Rolls-Royce service? So you get what you pay for. What I would say is we have been encouraged that within, I would say, the last year, there have been a number of policies that have had wholesale adoption of much that is in this report. We've had sporadic bits and pieces over the, 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 the period since 2012. But very recently, there have been policies that have adopted a lot of the recommendations. Those policies are very clear to read. They're very accessible. That gives us a bit of hope that maybe the three years in producing the original report wasn't three years wasted. <laughs> so there are some in encouraging signs, certainly. Absolutely. And as Damien's point there, it's a balancing act between <clears throat> a, a degree of consistency so that you can actually compare one product with another, and in particular the price of the product, so yeah. that you can choose the insurer that you want. But it's a balancing act between, as Damien says, different qualities of policy, but still maintaining a degree of comparability. Easy for me to say. <laughs>
Um, excellent. Well, um, finally, what more would you say insurers can do to work with customers? So, so you know, to get that clarity around what is covered and um, how can companies engage better with their with their consumers? Well, at the risk of, of seeming a bit twee, we would say implement the book. Yes. Yeah. You know, a lot of people, and it's not just Harry and I. It's not our book. You know, that is the distillation of an awful lot of work our disappointment isn't really it, it's not that our ideas and suggestions have been adopted it, it, it's the market response you know from, from a group I, I would add I mean Harry has pointed out that 260,000 the counter broke when we went past 260,000 the PDF is free on the CILA website the refreshed edition which came out in May has had over 55,000 hits and for Frankly, we, we are not unrealistic about how exciting our world is. Uh, for, for a nerdy technical book, that's not bad going. The other thing, I think, um, if we're plugging the book or we're plugging the, the, the need for change, mm. if, if you don't believe us, believe the fact that the FCA produced a thematic review on the handling of claims for SMEs, that was back in May 2015, and that recommended the need for changes in the way claims are handled almost by definition, the way that policies are written. So it's not just us that's uh, suggesting there should be change. And if you're not convinced by the book, go look at the thematic review report. Excellent. Well, thank you so much, um, Harry Roberts and Damien Glynn, for joining us today. Thank you. Thank you. It's been a pleasure having you. And, and as, the, as they mentioned, um, the guide is now available on the CILA website. Um, it'll also be promoted via the CII's site and social media. Um, so we'd encourage our listeners to, to go there to find out more. So thank you again for, for coming and speaking to us today. Thank you. Excellent. Um, and thank you for joining us. If you'd like to find out more, you can visit thejournal.cii.co.uk forward slash podcasts or find us on Twitter at CII Group. So until next time, thank you for listening and goodbye.